0: Did I mention that there's no Bible study this week? Well, I did. I did to someone. Just not you guys. Um, yeah, uh, it being Holy Week and with Good Friday service on Good Friday, which falls on a Friday at seven. Uh, yeah, the, the the weekend we were gonna have a serpent turf for dinner and then we canceled. It just like that. It's okay. We can get a rain check. We can get a rain check for that. Um, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to First Corinthians 13. I'm really glad. Uh, To see you guys this morning, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to have church with you on Palm Sunday. Uh, I'm happy that we've come to 1 Corinthians 13 in our verse-by-verse study through 1 Corinthians. Um, We started this chapter last week. We'll finish it up this week. And it's just a beautiful piece of scripture that won't quit blessing. Uh, So we'll start in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And read through verse 13. Mm. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love jesus we pray that through the preaching of your word this morning and our fellowship that is a gift of your holy spirit and through the prayers of your saints and this gathering of your church that you would pour out the love of god into our hearts by your holy spirit i pray that in studying this passage we would be eating it up that it would become a part of us that it would be it would uh, make up the the body of christ here in this church that we would be loving people made of this kind of love we ask your anointing on the preaching of your word and our reception of it for the glory of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's do a quick review. Uh, in chapter 12, Paul started talking about spiritual gifts. Uh, and he's going to continue that conversation in chapter 14. And he's going to talk more about spiritual gifts. He's called these gifts ministries, activities, and manifestations of the spirit. He made a point uh, to show that there are a variety of gifts, but they're all from the same source. There's a unity of source, it's God, and there's a unity of purpose to build up the body of Christ. All the gifts are from God and all the gifts are for his church. He explained how it should all work, how the different ministries within a church and the different giftings should serve each other like the different members of one body, one physical human body. We have different body parts and they serve each other. He explained that it's okay to be different and that like the Trinity, the diversity of the body and the unity of the body can and should coexist. They're describing the same body. The Corinthians, the church in Corinth, they were misusing their gifts, but that doesn't lead Paul to say, well, don't use them, (laughs) stop, just slow down. Just like they were abusing the Lord's table, but that didn't lead Paul to say, stop taking communion, you're doing it wrong, so just don't anymore. That's not the way Paul teaches the church. He says, examine yourself so that you can do it right, and then come to Jesus. He's willing to meet you. There was prophecy and speaking in tongues going on in some kind of weird ways, and it was disrupting their church services. It was belittling other people with different giftings, and even this mess didn't lead Paul to say, I don't think you should ever prophesy or speak in tongues again. Uh, this is a sales pitch for chapter 14 sermon. Come back in two weeks. And we're going to learn about prophecy and speaking in tongues. But Paul, at the end of chapter 12, he says, Desire the best gifts. Now, these are things that you can have, that you should want. But even though the gifts are great and useful and from God, there's something better that you should want even more. And chapter 12 ends with that promise, the wonderful introduction to chapter 13 that really should be part of chapter 13. Sometimes I don't know why they put the chapters where they did. But he says in the last verse of 12, I show you a more excellent way. That's chapter 12, verse 31. I show you a more excellent way. And that more excellent way is love. Now, I really enjoy talking about spiritual gifts. I love talking about the stuff in chapter 12 and chapter 14. I love it when I get to see people be the members of the body of Christ that they were created to be. But when someone is trying to figure it out, maybe try, maybe struggling with where they fit or how they should serve and what their gifting is, This is usually where I point them. First of all, I I can't tell you how the Spirit will empower you. The Spirit moves where he wishes. He is sometimes rather unpredictable. But when a person in our church is looking for where they fit, I advise them to adjust their focus. It's not where do I work or what do I do. It's who do I love. Probably whom, but I could never figure out when to do the one and the other. Praying to the Lord this kind of prayer, show me who I need to care for, how I can best bless an individual, who am I supposed to love? This is a kind of prayer that the Lord will delight in answering. He will put the right people in your path for you to care for, and it'll hurt like anything, just like Jesus. There are spiritual gifts. They are for today. They have not expired. You are a candidate for the Holy Spirit to come upon you and empower you for ministry. You have work to do, and he has all the power to enable you to do that work. But rather than focus on these roles, which can be strict sometimes, these these. Uh, clear lanes where you work and you never never get out of those jobs, or rather than being caught up in the labels of who does what and which gift is needed, there's a more excellent way to think about ministry. There's a more excellent way to see, well, how does church work? How does it really work when everyone's together? Where's the org chart? Where, you know, where, where's the, the flow chart where we can see who answers to who? It's like, no, there's a better way. There's a more excellent way. Let me tell you about it. It's love. You are called to love the church. The love that God will give you for his people is no less miraculous than some of the gifts we read of in chapter 12, and it's better than each one of them. The first half of chapter 13 compared love to some of the gifts and then described the nature of the divine love to which we were called. The second half of the chapter goes back to comparing love to some specific gifts in order to show that love is superior in every way. Verses 8 through 13 show why it is love that is the most excellent way. So let's Let's start right in. Verse 8, it says, love never fails. A better translation might be love never ends. Um, As an attribute of God that we can imitate and reflect and enjoy, love pre-existed the creation of any human work or, or anything. It was there before the world began because God was there before the world began. When the new heavens and the new earth are made, there is much of what we do now that will be obsolete. But love will not be one of those things. It will never expire. Loving well on earth is heavenly. Loving well now is the closest you'll get to heaven on earth. And love will exist in heaven perfectly. It will be an active, eternal participation in the love of God. Pursuing the spiritual gifts as ends in themselves without that kind of love, without that eternal love, is kind of short-sighted. Especially for us when we confess like we're eternal beings that are going to live forever. Let's not have our whole focus on something that only lasts for this lifetime, right? Let's look beyond that. Prophecies fail. Tongues cease. Knowledge vanishes. Love doesn't. That's a paraphrase, by the way. That's not word for word. But you can see it right there in verse 8. What does this mean, prophecies fail? Is he talking about false prophecies? Well, I don't think so. Uh, Is he talking about a time when the gift of prophecy will cease? Some would say so. I don't believe that's what Paul is talking about either. I believe he's talking about the individual uses of these gifts. The person who prophesies, are they always prophesying? No. Will there be prophecy in heaven? Mm-mm. Is prophecy the end-all goal of their existence or the, the purpose of the church? No. These gifts fail. They cease. They vanish because they are not things of for all of time. We talked about this when we went over the end of chapter 12 when Paul said desire the best gifts. What are the best gifts? Well, it depends, doesn't it? It depends on the circumstance. It depends on what the need is in front of you. But love is always needed. It is always appropriate. It is for all seasons. The rest of verses uh, 9 and 10, it says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. He's describing what he means when he says love never ends or love never fails. When there is prophecy, that's, that's speaking forth the word of God, we're saying a little tiny bit about something that we can never say enough about, right? I mean, we're talking about God. Our theology, however comprehensive, however orthodox, it is weak and small when compared with the thing we're actually talking about, which is God himself. As Job says, he says, these are the mere edges of his ways, but the thundering of his power, who can understand? We know in part, just the edges. There is a time that is coming when we will hear the thunder. We'll understand the thunder. At least we'll encounter it and be content. The things we have here, the way we do church here, the gifts we need to, to keep this thing running, they're not permanent. They're not the most important thing either. The gifts, however miraculous, however useful, however beneficial, are not our hope. And we can take great joy in that. We can take great joy that we won't need the gift of healing in heaven. You know why? <laughs> you do know why. We won't need that gift. That, that's a gift that, that fails. Okay. We're not going to need the gift of teaching, explaining truths about the gospel or about Jesus Christ, about the power of the resurrection, because you will know all the depth, the breadth, the length, the, the, the entire dimensions of that which surpasses knowledge. You will be filled with all the fullness of God. So the things we have here, they're not permanent and they're not, they're not the highest priority. The, the gifts, however miraculous, however useful, however beneficial, they're, they're not final. Martin Lloyd-Jones, preaching on this passage in Corinthians, he said, In the first place, it is a reminder to us that all our gifts are temporary and that they are not an end in themselves. Secondly, it is a reminder that love is the greatest thing of all and that all our gifts are to be exercised in love. Thirdly, it is a reminder to us that there is a day coming when we shall no longer need these gifts because we shall see him face to face. And that is the greatest thing of all. This passage, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I love it. I have really good, really good passage. Someone should get married so I can preach all this at a wedding. Okay, this, this passage is, it's often taught from another perspective that says that the gifts are expired, they're done, the weird ones at least. Those were for the apostolic age. Praise the Lord, we can, things have calmed down since then, and now we can just go to church and listen to sermons. Um, you can see how this could be interpreted this way. Paul says prophecies will fail, tongues will cease, knowledge will vanish. So maybe he's just saying that for a short time at the church's beginning, they were needed, but at the end, that it'll give way to a time when the only gift we need is love. Now, in this reading, if you were to follow this interpretation, that which is perfect, uh, it's been understood by some to be the New Testament documents, the Bible. A few problems with that interpretation. Uh, first, the big one. Actually, I think I'll only mention this one. Uh, that which is perfect is a phrase that Paul uses elsewhere in this letter to refer to Christ's return. That's what Paul means when he uses this phrase, that which is perfect. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.8, he says, Uh, speaking of Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word for end there, teleon, is the same as what Paul uses here, translated that which is perfect. It's the end goal. It means the goal, the destination, the completion. And he says that's the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, he uses this word again when he's talking about resurrection, how Christ is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, He says, then comes the end, the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God, kingdom to God, the father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. And the word end is the same word as that which is perfect. Um, This is the traditional understanding of what Paul means when he says that which is perfect. It is the coming of Christ. John Calvin, who wasn't exactly the kind of person who you would call Pentecostal, believed that which is perfect. Referring to our meeting with Jesus. It refers to our meeting with Jesus, either in death or the second coming. Prophecies will fail. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will vanish. I suppose you could call me a future cessationist. Okay? All the gifts are are expired, but later. We still need them now. The gifts will cease. But Paul says this will happen only when that which is perfect will come. And then he describes this as a meeting face to face in verse 12. That hasn't happened yet. That which is perfect, the end has not yet come, but it is coming. Until that time, we do need the gifts of the Spirit. We need all of them to be motivated by the love that will outlast them. The thing with the the corruption of the spiritual gifts as they their misuse, as we see in Corinth, is really that they were being used selfishly. The focus for every so-called prophet or every person speaking loudly in foreign languages in church. It was me, me, me. The focus is on the person using the gift every time. And that means it's impossible to be walking in love, which does not seek its own. It's impossible to have a heavenward gaze when you're just hoping everyone looks at you instead of heaven. Heaven and others. That's where we're supposed to be directing our, 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 our gaze, our focus, our service. When those things are your focus, there's a healthy self-forgetfulness that we as Christians are supposed to just live in permanently. Heaven will be wonderful, I'm sure of it. Our prayer of be thou my vision will be fulfilled. With my eyes I shall see God. Our desire for serving God or even knowing God will be eclipsed by the constantly replenished, constantly fulfilled desire for God himself. You have good holy desires now. To be used, to be filled, to be obedient, to grow in grace, to be faithful. We want those things, and we should. Those are good desires and fitting for the time that we are in. But there will come a time when those desires won't even mean anything because the only desire will be for God himself. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for that kind of righteousness, for they shall be filled. But when all those good desires reach their expiration date, and when all of our acts of service and our gifts for ministry reach their end, love will just be getting started. Love will outlast them. Love will endure all things. Love will never end. That which is perfect will come, and we will love Him perfectly and be loved by Him perfectly. That's our maturity. That's when our education, or at least this phase of our education, will end. It's when we get to retire, we can say, I've made it. It's called heaven, and it's love. (laughs) Until then, we rely on the Holy Spirit, and and we desire the best gifts so that we can serve well with the love that he pours into our hearts. Now, look at verse 11. Paul writes, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but... When I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, this comparison may have stung a little bit for the Corinthians. Because they wanted to be mature. They wanted so badly to appear sophisticated. Those are the first three chapters of the book are all about. All their, their knowledge that puffs up and all of that. And, and they wanted to appear Respectable. And, and, and be the tallest in the class, and the fastest, and the best looking, and everything. And Paul says, yes, we were all children once. But the time comes to grow up. The way they were using their gifts, the way they were operating their ministries, it was childish. Now a side note on, on this verse, the, the cessationist view. That is the idea that the spiritual gifts, or at least the more miraculous ones, are meant only for the early stages of the church. They would usually read this passage and say that the childish speaking, the childish understanding was the speaking in tongues or the use of the miraculous gifts, love being the maturity that leaves such things behind. And that's a difficult sell uh, since Paul, who is claiming a sort of maturity here, says in chapter 14, I speak in tongues more than any of you. The main point he's saying is that our aim, rather than the gifts themselves, isolated from love, is love itself. To, to use the gifts without love is, is childish. Um, the misuse of the gifts, the operation of spiritual gifts without love, that is the childishness that the Corinthians were displaying. They needed maturity. They needed to grow up. Serving without love is childish. Serving selfishly so others can see you, that's childish. Maturity looks like loving other people quietly. There is a sense in which we are still unfashioned, we are still growing, and we are children who need the help of these gifts. There is also a sense in which the overemphasis on the gifts or the inordinate fascination with them at the expense of love is like children playing with their father's tools, and they're both ineffective and dangerous. You don't know how to use that yet. You need to grow in love first before you can work these other things out with any semblance of, of skill. The maturity that will come is putting them in the right place, putting aside the overemphasis, putting the gifts in the right place, putting aside the overemphasis on spiritual experience, um, which was counter to an actual others-focused, heaven-directed love. Now, Paul, as Paul mentions, a a face-to-face encounter in the next verse. We realize that as we strive to maturity, the full maturity won't be reached until that encounter. Verse 12, it says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. The Holy Spirit communicates the presence of Jesus to us. There is coming a day when the presence of Jesus will be ours, not only spiritually, but, but, but more than spiritually. And Jesus, Jesus will be physically with you. There will be a face-to-face encounter, and it's not just religious make-believe, it's a promise that you hold on to. Our hope is nothing less than a true personal encounter with the living God. We will see Jesus face-to-face. The mirrors that Paul talks about, the mirrors in the ancient world weren't as clear as ours, and I think we should go back to that, actually. I think mirrors are overrated, um, and we should just, the fuzzy kind of distorted image is fine. I think that's enough for anybody, for any real purpose. But it was it was it was just it was just a polished piece of metal, and so it was kind of discolored, maybe distorted, maybe a little fuzzy, unclear. and and Paul says that we see things now in the spiritual world in this kind of fuzzy, distorted, unclear way. Jesus himself, who we know and love and has offered us his presence, is still. In a, in a way, he is distant from us, in a certain way. Our understanding is incomplete. And John writes about this beautifully, I think, when he says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It says there's an unclear, I'm not really sure what, what this eternal future holds. I don't know exactly what it's like, but I do know this. We're going to see him. That's what I know. We're going to see him and then we'll be like him. And then I think John says the exact same thing that Paul is hoping for in the Corinthians by bringing this up in 1 John 3 verse 2. He says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The hope of seeing Jesus ought to free us from all the Corinthians selfishness and misguided spiritualism. One day, soon, we will see him face to face. That's what we're hoping for. That is what we are aiming for. When when this happens, Paul says that we will know even as we are known. When we see him, we'll have a knowledge of God that is on the same par as, as God's knowledge of us. Now, Jesus already knows you. God knows the number of hairs on your head. He has all your days numbered. He holds together the atoms that make up the cells that make up your body by the word of his power. He holds your tears in a bottle. He knows you as intimately as it is possible to know anything. And when we see him, we will know him even as we also are known. We will have that level of knowledge of God. You won't need the gift of teaching. You won't need need the gift of prophecy. These things end. These things fail. But will you stop loving God at that moment? No, you're just getting started. I love that it's God's knowledge of us that is the standard of measurement we're using here. It's his thoughts towards us that are of most value. His thoughts for you, which are peace for peace, not of evil. His thoughts of which David prays, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. Or think of Paul writing to the Galatian, the Galatians. I'm paraphrasing here a little bit. He says, and to think, you know God, or rather, you've been known by God. He kind of increases. He levels up a little bit from your thoughts about God to his thoughts about you, which are far greater and here Paul says, there's coming a time when your knowledge of him will be as close and intimate as his thoughts towards you, which outnumber the sand on the sea. That's the end. That's the perfect destination of our salvation. It's union with God, to know God, to be known by him, to think his thoughts after him, to be seen by him and be unashamed, to see him and not shade our eyes. And when Jesus talks about union with us in John 17, that they may. They all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. When he, when he talks about this, we understand what he means in part, right? And, and when he talks about us abiding in him and him abiding in us, we, we know what that means in part. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face that's your future. That's what you're made for. That face-to-face encounter. But it is still in the future. In the meantime, we are bumbling our way through the Christian life, assisted by any and all the spiritual training wheels that God will provide. The spiritual gifts that are given to strengthen the body, to serve the church, they're here for us now on this side of the mirror as part of God's plan to get us to get us where we need to get to, <laughs> We accept the gifts and we use the gifts in hope of the time when we will set them aside and simply gaze on the face of God. In the meantime, we prioritize love and use the gifts, powered by love. Until that day, we do all we can to love one another, thus exercising our love for the Lord. As he becomes our all-in-all, all, the tools of the trade, the gifts or whatever, we become really less and less of a stumbling block, and love will be more and more the distinguishing character of the church, which is always Christ's intent. So until that day, hold fast to the God who loves us, to the Spirit who pours out the love of God into our hearts. Now, it's, it's true that the spiritual will one day fade, it will vanish away, but it is not the spiritual that gives way to the intellectual. We don't trade the Holy Spirit for the Holy Bible, right? But the, the merely spiritual will give way to the total The physical, spiritual, metaphysical reality of heaven itself. True reality. With my eyes, I will see God. We'll see his scars. With unveiled face, we will behold his glory. This is the aim of our love. This is where the gifts find their end. But it's where love just gets started. The gifts of chapter 12, chapter 14, they're for tasks. When the task is done, the gift isn't needed anymore. Love isn't like that. You don't love someone... Until you're done, and then you just stop. You you love someone more and more you love them. The more you love them, the more you love them, and then you love them some more. You don't love something until you've loved it, then stops. You love what you love and then you love it some more. The gifts will cease and love never will. Now in verse 13, it says, Now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. They abide. You know that word. From John's gospel. John uses the word to mean to make your home here, to settle down, stay a while. These are the things that are gonna settle down and stay a while. Paul uses the word a little differently. When he uses it, 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 it's usually translated as remains or endures. He's talking about what stays when everything else is swept away. Faith, hope, and love have enduring power when all else fades. Think again about the idea that the gifts are temporary, not just in this age of the world but in the very nature of their usage, the gift of healings might be used. And when the person is healed, you don't just keep on healing them. That would be really weird. (laughs) Okay. That faucet is closed off. The gift of teaching isn't being used when the teacher isn't teaching. The Holy Spirit is present to be, to be sure. Of course he is, but the gifts or manifestations of the spirit are not a constant on, but faith, hope, Love, these are to be our constant pursuit, and each one is in season, always. Faith, hope, and love are always timely. The pursuits of our Christian life are not signs, wonders, and miracles. It's not, as the song says, gifts, nor power, nor wisdom. It's faith, hope, and love. These are called the theological virtues because these are the virtues that direct our hearts towards God himself and unite us with him. Faith. Faith is believing It is the virtue of trust and confidence in the word of God, believing that he is who he says he is, that he'll always do what he says he'll do. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, and without faith, it is impossible to come to God. There is no relationship without faith. We are saved by grace through faith. But then this faith that connects us to the grace of God continues to form the life of Christ in us. The relationship we hold with God is still maintained through faith by believing him every moment of every day. Hope, in the modern vernacular, hope means wish, right? I hope you have a nice day. Okay, the, the hope we're talking about here is much more than that. The main difference, of course, is that our hope is steadfast. 2 Corinthians one seven. Our hope does not disappoint. Our hope is not wishful thinking, but a confident desire. It is a desire. So in that, there's a similarity with the common understanding of hope. We want something to happen. It's kind of a, Uh, it's kind of a desire that sets our affections towards heaven. Faith is believing that the kingdom of God exists. Hope is the virtue that makes us seek the kingdom of God first. In the Old Testament, faith and hope seem almost interchangeable, but they are very close, and they are very closely related. It's mostly a difference of tense. Faith is in the present tense. Hope is always looking forward. And we as Christians are, are to have our gaze set beyond the horizon of our own short lives, beyond this earth, towards that which is eternal. And when you get to heaven, you'll hope for more of it, and he'll give you more. And you'll hope for more, and he'll give you more. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Not all virtues are created equal. Love is the greatest. It is greater than any gift, and without it, every gift and every ministry fails. And while you can identify a healthy diversity in giftings and say, well, you're the hand and I'm the foot and we can work together, you can't say, well, you're loving and I'm mean, so let's work together. That's never going to work. This is the more excellent way that surpasses every other quality of ministry, every other gifting. You'll remember some of you when we were teaching through 1 John and it was just every single week, broken record, love, 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 love God, love each other, love one another, do it some more, repeat. And it was it was John's one big message. And while Paul doesn't harp on this issue with the same kind of redundancy as John, he agrees with John's priorities. This is the best thing. This is the greatest. This is your aim. Don't get sidetracked. These three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love there are many ways to get this wrong and Corinthians the Corinthians show us most of them. We can we can be like Corinth and emphasize gifting above loving loving. even if we ignore the gifts and substitute skills which many churches do unfortunately it's easy to do but dangerous. we can emphasize the quality of a service above love. Corinth was dividing on doctrinal grounds what they believed in well that's important stuff. Orthodoxy is important. faith is essential, but Paul says love is greater. The Corinthians had misplaced hope. Some of them didn't even believe in the resurrection. We'll get to that when we get to chapter 15. They needed a proper hope, but even this was not as important as their need for love. The greatest of these is love. It is the greatest because it is the most central to who God is in his own nature. If you were to just glance into the first verse of chapter 14, you'd see Paul say, pursue love. This has to be where we land right here. We've seen its superiority. We've seen how it's essential, how it's beautiful, how it's a picture of the heavenly maturity that we're heading towards. So pursue love. What does that look like? I believe it looks like pursuing God for his own sake and becoming more and more satisfied in him and more and more hungry for his presence above all else. If God is love, then our pursuit of this virtue cannot be removed from our wholehearted pursuit of God himself. Putting all this back into the context of ministries in the church and spiritual gifts, let's get our priorities straight there. The reason God has placed you here in this church is for you to love the people here. You are placed in your community to show God's love to people. There are diversities of ministries. There's different ways that different people do different things. There's a variety of gifts, various activities, and none of them matter at all without love. If you are trying to find your place in your church, pursue love. Let John spell it out for you. My little children, love one another and let the, le- the rest be details. Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you. We love you. We love that you have given us your love, that even this is a gift of your spirit. We are hungry, thirsty, needy, and you have the supply for all that we need. We pray, as the disciples prayed, increase our faith. We pray, Lord, increase our love for one another. We ask that for your glory. Amen. 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 Please stand and bless the food with me in the singing of the doxology. Afterwards, there's prayer for anyone that would like prayer. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. You are sent to lunch.